If you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity to study your word together. We ask for clarity and conviction. We pray for hearts that want to obey you and not social norms or the wisdom of this age. We want to be brought underneath your direction in everything that we do. We know that human relationships are a struggle, and we ask that you would help us walk away from here with a clear understanding of the road forward. And we pray this in the powerful working of the Spirit, knowing that and trusting that in in our Savior's name. Amen. Okay. Human relationships. We are looking at that, and I'm going to talk with you about that for a moment. And what I want you to do um, is hopefully be able to think through some, some of just logically think through a few things before we get started. And so I'm going to kind of read a series of statements that will hopefully help you. And, uh, and, and, I, and I hope that it will. But let, let's just start here. Human relationships are based upon an authority submission structure that exists within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when we're speaking of them, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are equal in power and glory, yet they are distinct in role. So, just again, they are equal in power and glory, but distinct in role. So, the Son can say, I and the Father are one, while at the same time say, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. That, that's, that is a critical thing to understand. Because what we are talking about today are humans created in the image of God. And they are created in the image of God, and therefore there is equality among them. While at the same time, there is distinction in role. And to confuse that is a problem. It's not only a problem in your understanding of God, because He is one God and three persons, and there is this equality, while at the same time distinction. In the same way within humanity, there is equality and distinction. So I just think that's important to start there. Now, the other thing to say is this. There is never an abuse of authority or submission within the Godhead, and therefore there is a joyful authority and submission within the Godhead. Is that that helpful? I, mean, I hope you can kind of, like just you're thinking through and trying to understand, it's important to see that. Third, humans are created in the image of God. And we are designed to live within this rhythm of authority and submission. So it is steeped in our Trinitarian God. 
It is perfectly worked out within the Godhead. It comes down into human relationships as it mirrors, as image bearers, we mirror that understanding that there's authority and submission structures within the Godhead. Now, human sin corrupts the authority submission structures. In this case, we could add the addition of slavery would be one where you'd say it's a corruption. And then it also taints these ordained roles that are not a corruption, but taints them uh, in, in, in relationship to like husband, wife, and children to parents. So human sin has a way of corrupting on multiple fronts. Just because human sin has corrupted something does not mean that it needs to be denounced. You know, it needs to be redeemed. It needs to be rescued. Paul addresses three authority submission relationships that existed in the common first century household. Paul does not address the social constructs, i.e., the evil of the institution of slavery. Instead, he shows the Christian how to live properly wherever they find themselves, being in authority or in the place of submission. Are you all tired of these? If you are, go back and listen to it later. It really will probably help. It took me a long time to think about that because it's really important you've got to be able to frame it out starting with God and flowing down for those of us living as 21st century citizens in the United States of America I think we have to look at, when we're studying this, in order to apply it, we are looking at, in our present place, what structures would we identify with here? Husband-wife relationship, the same. Parent-child relationship, it's the same. When you get to master-servant relationship, we would say, that's not the same. For us, probably the closest thing, and it's not a one-to-one comparison, the closest thing we have is work with an employer-employee relationship. That's probably the closest thing that we would have. In our, this is not, I'm not speaking to the international community, I'm speaking to the United States of America. That is the closest thing that we have in daily lives of people that we live with every day, all day. Okay, now you ready? We are trying to rightly understand how our union with Christ impacts our relationship to one another. That, that's the critical thing. 
when you're looking at this, you're saying, how does my union with Christ impact my relationship with one another? In the start of Ephesians 5, when he starts this series, this conversation, in Ephesians 5.21, he speaks of submitting to one another kind of in fear of Christ, in light of Christ. So he's going to start the authority submission thing, and he's going to start there and just say, hey, you're submitting to Jesus. So wherever you find yourself in the authority submission relationship, wherever you are, you're looking at Jesus and saying, he is watching me. He is my Lord. I want to serve him faithfully. Okay. Now, here's what Paul has done. Our union with Christ is we're united to him in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We have all the benefits of being uh, sons of God. We have in, 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 uh, it's really, you're incapable of understanding your newfound status as a child of the king, as a son, as one who has experienced all the fullness of adoption and being brought in and the standing and the legal standing and all of those things. We are united to Jesus and the fullness of that is yet to be seen and, and, and the empowerment of that is often forgotten. So what Paul says is, listen, you understand because of this new place that you have, you're to put off this old way of living and thinking and put on a new way of living and thinking. So it's important, I think, for us when we're looking at that, just to glance at a couple of things, then hopefully I'll move a little bit faster. But I want you to get the framework down in your head. It will change. It will be one of those things you can go back over throughout your life to try to remind yourself of what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. Now I want you to look at Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 3.8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 12 through 14. You are to put off those things, but put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if anyone has a complaint against the other, forgiving the other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So let's stop. Think about this just for a moment. If you were to take in your marriage and say, put off these attitudes and put on these attitudes, would it change it? Would it change it? Would it change the whole fabric of where you are? If you're a child here this morning, living with parents who have rules that sometimes drive you crazy, and you said, if I put off this and put on a humble heart, Would it change it? How would it change it? How would it change it if a husband walked in the room who had been arrogant, 
self-righteous, and condemning. And he walked in there so humbled by the cross that he said, "My, your whole life with me has been nothing but me self-righteously standing before you saying that I'm better than you. Would it change it if he, broken by the gospel, walked in that way? How would submission look if that was the case? Would it be that hard to submit to a humble and lowly servant of a man? Come on. So I think it's important that we understand when we're looking at this that he is saying, live in light of your new identity that produces in you humility, gratitude, thanksgiving, a desire to be pleasing to the Lord. Live in light of that. Walk in that. Become who you are. Put on the clothes of righteousness. Then mistreating one another becomes something so horrible to you because you feel as if you're offending your Savior who died for you. Our union with Christ reveals our equality and unity with one another. Our distinct roles allow us to flesh out our God-given places within human society, trusting our Lord and living our lives before Him, treating one another with dignity, respect, and honor. Your wife is your sister. Your husband is your brother. Eternally bound brother. Brother that is wrapped up in Christ as much as you are with all the rights and privileges of a son. Your parents are, in that sense, if you are in Christ, your brother. And to offend his Christ body, to wound him, to not want to be pleasing to him by blessing those for whom Christ died is insane. We good? Okay, put on the new self is what we are to do after the image of our creator. And we are seeking to do so in a way that would see each other renewed. So let's go. We're going to move quick. We're coming back to these. I'll talk to you about that later. But so we're just going to look at this real quick. There, again, we're going to say this one thing over and over. There is unity and there's distinction. Men and women, first group here, men and women, there's unity in the way that you are created in the image of God, and if you are in Christ, you are recreated in the image of God. There is unity. There is a unity 
that so transcends your earthly relationship. It is a unity that is an eternal unity if you are in Christ. Now, if you're here lost in your uh, self-righteousness or lost in your rebellion, you may not be a part of the eternal family of God. But if you are, your unity with your spouse transcends anything. This is a momentary thing of you being married. You will eternally be with one another in the future with the Lord. And so there's a unity there that, that, that transcends this earth. So we just say that. So that means there's equality. But let's go on. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. What we're saying here is, although you are equals in status, you have distinct roles on this earth. Wives are, to, to, are told to submit to their husbands. This means to willingly place yourself under their authority. This is a matter of the will. This is something in the fall is, that is difficult. It is said that it will be difficult. Um, there, there are things about it that, that are, are difficult in the sense that um, not only could you do, the, do so with uh, your um, actions, but uh, Paul has been clear, he wants your heart. The Lord wants your heart. He wants your heart. And uh, again, this submission is not, I think what you would say, um, it's important to just say it is, it is something willing. It is something that you do so as a matter of I'm choosing to do so. It is something you're praying, God, give me joy in doing so. Transform my husband so that, not that he's crafted into the image that I have for him, but that he is made into the image of the Son and let me live under his authority in a way that would be pleasing to you. Now, here's the thing. As is fitting in the Lord, and spend just an enormous amount of time unpacking this, but one thing that really I think is important for me as I think about it is um, that does not mean a husband is to encourage his wife to sin, to pursue pursuits that are just silly, like in a sense of like, in rebellion against God. So I think there is something where you're saying like, is it fitting? Is it right? But also, is it fitting? And this is the way in which God designed it. And God wants you to take seriously what he says. Then, he does not leave the husband out. Uh, husbands are called to love their wives, uh, to care for them, to treat them tenderly, uh, she is, as I said, your sister. She is one whom Christ died for. She is united to him. It is a stewardship. She is Christ's child. And so it, you have a stewardship there to watch and care for her soul. To mistreat her is to mistreat Jesus' bride. You are to love her, as Ephesians states, as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for her. This is not a thing of like, if you're saying, well, I'll do for my wife if she will do for me, you have a demonic view of marriage. That is not the picture. Husbands 
love your wives as Christ loved the church. Not when she was loving him. Not when he can put on a list and say, she did this, did this, did this. Look, I provided for her. I created her. I made everything grow. I provided her oxygen. I put food on her table in the sense that God rules and reigns over the whole universe. I've sustained it all from the beginning. And what am I going to do now? Lay my life down for her? She doesn't deserve that. A satanic view of marriage says, I've done all this stuff. And you know what? If you have that view of marriage, you will never follow the Savior to the cross, laying your life down in service to your wife because she doesn't deserve it. Gospelless marriage. Anti-gospel marriage would say, she doesn't deserve it, I'm not going to give it. I've given her so much already. <laughs> Y'all look at me like that dude is about to. You've been sick, bro, but like settle down. <laughs> okay. Wives submit. Husbands love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Mm. Treat her with dignity and respect. If you do not treat her with tenderness, you have rejected the biblical role of authority. Because Jesus' role of authority is demonstrated in being a servant. All authority given comes with a great level of responsibility. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. One has a complaint against the other, forgiving the other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wives submit, husbands, <clears throat> love your wives. Second, children and parents. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So if you're a child in here, and you haven't been listening to this point, probably time to like say, well, I think I'll take a look at this one. You ready? Children, obey your parents in everything. Wow. How, how, how quick? Well, 
after the 17th time of them asking me to do something. You think that's what, kids, you think? I, I, I mean, like, it's crazy. You can hear anything going on except for, like, your mom asking you to do something. For some people, it's like they will do it when their parents are watching, but they're watching to make sure that their parents aren't watching, and they immediately go back to doing what they want to do. Children are to obey their parents in everything. Anna regularly, and I'm not sure where this came from, or it, but, but she regularly says to our boys, we obey all the way right away with a joyful heart. We obey all the way right away with a joyful heart. They make a practice of doing it. The heart sometimes catches up later. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, it sometimes is real. You're praying, God, let my heart catch up with my actions. But all the way, right away, with a joyful heart. Attitude is important. A- attitude is important. God is not just interested in the action. He is interested in the heart behind the action. God is not interested in you just following rules so that you can go and do what you want to do. He is interested in you doing so joyfully. As a child, now listen to this, even if you have a permissive parent or a distracted parent, or a parent that lacks follow-through. This does not give you an excuse to sin against the Lord or your parents. That's just an important thing to say. One, parents are not perfect. They are imperfect. Two, they do get wore down. And three, some people are sorry parents. I mean... Because they don't care. They love themselves more than they love their children. And it's evidenced in the fact that they don't make them obey. They they sporadically make them obey. Which is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But, as a child, if you know what your parents desire for you to do. You are to do it. You say, why? This pleases the Lord. You say, some people, you know, there's different degrees of thinking through all of this, but (coughs) if you say to yourself, I really love and believe in Jesus, and you neglect the basic tenant for you as a little a child growing up which is to obey your parents and you say oh I can love Jesus and not really care about my parents authority you are not displaying a love for Jesus you are messing with Jesus children his body you mess with your parents you are fighting against the Lord of the universe 
you are warring against Him. You are messing with one of His sons. You think it's okay because it's just my parents. They are eternal children of the King. You want to fight against them, you're fighting against Christ and His kingdom and His reign and His rule and you're not treasuring what He is doing in the world. Have I struggled with this? Did I struggle with this? Absolutely. Did I really, really do the things that I did do as a a child? Did I do those with a right heart? No. Many times I did not. But it does not take away from the fact that we still have to fight through these things and encourage one another in them. And, And I think parents have a big role in helping children with expectations and what they need to do. For a parent not to do that is foolish. There is a special thing here for dads. And um, again, there's so much we could talk about here, and we're not going to today, but I just, there's a special thing here for fathers. It says, do not provoke your children. To provoke is to stimulate or give rise to. A reaction or emotion typically a strong or unwelcome one in someone. A father should not, must not, frustrate their child. What does that mean? A father can go after their children in such a way that they become discouraged. A father could, and you see it in movie after movie after movie after movie, where a son has worked really hard in something. And the father was like, well, it could have been better. And the son's living his whole life thinking, why can't I live up to this father's demands? And he's walking around struggling with that work because all it is is like demand after demand after demand, heaping guilt on the, the children in a foolishly harsh way. A father might sit over there and think, no, I'm just trying to get him up, make him this or that or whatever. And it's like, you're not treating him like God treats you. You're not treating them in that way. If God was to just nitpick you to death constantly, just beat you over the head, <coughs> what would that be like? You might say, I think that's what he does. And I would say, then read your Bible. Is that all he does? The Father in the Scriptures, you see a wayward son, and it's not in just this example. There are times where he disciplines, right? But he's not the kind of father that disciplines to destroy and demean. He disciplines to drive you to holiness. It it, it is the kind of discipline that afterwards produces a sweetness. I had a friend one time said, you know, I would spank my son. And he would, and not every child's going to be like this, but he said I would give him a spanking. And immediately he would turn around and throw his arms around me. Why? Why? 
because he knew that the Father loved him. You cultivate that kind of relationship. It does not make you foolish. It's wise. You're walking in the footsteps of our Lord. (coughs) I want you to hear, some people would speak of like (coughs) shepherding your family. Speak of it in those terms. Hold on, give me a second. Sorry. Psalm 23 would be an example of that. In Psalm 23, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They're a comfort. Because you know he's there. He is not distracted. He's there. He's willing to do the work he needs to do to move the sheep in the way they need to be moved. But he is not doing anything that's not to try to bring blessing. Listen to this real quick. Put on then, with regard to this relationship, is God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. Should that apply to a parent-child relationship? Absolutely. That's the way it should be. That's the way in which it's designed to be. The next section here. Again, we're dealing with the average household in the first century. Some people say that 90% of first century Rome was a bond servant to master relationships. That 90%, I guess you could say, of the people were bond servants and 10% were masters. I haven't spent a long you know, amount of time trying to figure out what the percentages were. <clears throat> but I think it's important to say doctors, attorneys, some of those people were bond servants in the first century. It was just the, the whole makeup of the culture and the time. Again, what, what we're doing here, what I'm doing here today, is just, well, let me just say this real quick. Uh, what, what Paul says is counterculture all along the way. The whole marriage thing, the way he presents it, is not the way the first century would present it. The, the children and parent thing, not first century. The the men had (coughs) a totally different, um, the the leader of that, the household, he he made called all the shots, I guess you could say. So here, when we're looking at then, again, this is so common in this culture, Paul is going to call them to a standard where he's saying, there is equality between the bondservant and the master. They are, if they are in Christ, are children of the King with all the rights and privileges of sons. 
He is not going to say, I'm going to overthrow this social institution. He doesn't make comment to that. I think it's important that what we see is, is what he does comment to is something that is clearly opposed to the, the, the society's norms. But he doesn't comment on those things. Later, led by many Christians, <coughs> our most uh, close kind of relationship both in England and in America, you saw in that, for instance, like William Wilberforce, where it started in England. I'm <coughs> sorry, I'm just... Like, slave trade was abolished by his, like, 30-year effort. And later, slavery. And then later in the Americas, um, all the details of that, I can't tell you, but it was abolished, right? And that was something that um, I think is phenomenal. Again, Paul here does not address that. It is something that we would say, mankind uh, created in the image of God uh, are, are all created equal and should not be bound by one another. So, but in our case, when we're looking at this, I think it's just to say, for me, when I'm trying to apply it, I'm thinking employer, employee, uh, situation to the best of my ability that's where I would go that's where we live every day and so I just want to kind of play that out for you I think when he says bond servants obey in everything those who are earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that the Lord <clears throat> sorry knowing that you will uh, uh knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So what's he going to say? Paul is going to say, look, in your work, in the work that you have been given to do, do it not just when someone is looking. Not trying to please someone to get a bit more favor. But do it with a sincere heart. Again, he will never leave the heart. He always he is calling for a whole heart. Fearing the Lord. He's saying, you think that being afraid of your master is the thing that you must fear most. But instead, in your work, look at the Lord and think about Him and about standing before Him. Will you be faithful in the work that God has given you to do? Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. So again, whatever you do, work hard at that. Not to please men. They are secondary to pleasing the Lord. Every one of these relationships keeps tying you back to the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. 
He is the one who has placed you where you are in this life. Work, serve, love, cherish, do the things he's called you to do, and do those as to the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. What he's saying is, you have been blessed by the Lord, brought into the family, united to him. Your status as son has nothing to do with your status here. So offer your life back to the Lord here and to live in a way that is pleasing to him, knowing that he is the ultimate one who you will give an account to and who will reward you in the end. Serve the Lord. Wherever you find yourself, serve him. Bad boss, serve the Lord. Good boss, serve the Lord. Verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I would just say, the Lord is watching you. Say you're an employer, the Lord is watching you. He is your master, he is an example to you, and he's also watching you. He cares what you say, how you say it. He cares about how you treat people. He cares about your attitude. He cares about your words. He cares about your threats. He cares about what you do. He cares about whether or not you frustrate the people that work under you. He cares about whether you don't plan, train, demonstrate humility. He cares about you. And some of you say, well, I'm the boss, so I can just say whatever I want, do whatever I want. He cares about how you do that. God cares about that. If you sit around saying they're stupid and worthless and they don't know anything and I know everything and blah, 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 God cares about that. Has that how he's led you? Is that how, when he's given you assignment and guided you and directed you your whole life, is that how he treats you? If he were to treat you the way you treated them, the way you spoke of them, the attitudes that you displayed to them, if that were the case, would you think highly of your Lord? And if, it, and so I'm, I'm telling you, it's so easy. It is so easy. To step into this place of superiority. To believe you deserve to be there. To believe that nobody else really deserves to be in this high place that you're in. You're the big shot here. It's easy to do that. And the results are horrendous. The creator, sustainer, and redeemer of your life has placed you in a place of leadership temporarily. Temporarily. Will you steward that place well? So what should you do? You should pray. You should pray that we as a church would recognize each other's 
place. We would recognize each other's place in the kingdom. We should see equality. We should look at our children who are in Christ, our wives who are in Christ, our workers who are in Christ and say, they are created in the image of God. They've been redeemed. They have the status of child of the king. And see that, and then in response, we should say, how should I, in whatever role I'm in, serve my Lord well?